Good to be with you all. My name is Rob Sweet, and uh, I've been out for a week or so enjoying the warmth of the beach, and I came back here yesterday, and I thought, man, who turned the air conditioner on in the middle Tennessee? But I actually love it because it's fall, and it's refreshing, and there's some irony in that statement because I know what's happening with the leaves is they're, they're dying, and you know, we're kind of going into more of a hibernation season, but for me, this weather brings, brings out some life in me. It brings out some energy in me. It renews and refreshes somehow. And so during this season, we are actually taking some time to talk about our renewal as a church. And so Eric referenced it, Tim referenced it. We're doing 40 days of prayer and fasting. Every week we're focusing on an aspect of our renewed values. In this case today, our renewed mission. Why are we doing all of this? Well, renewal means you're taking something good that's been around a while and and you're sort of taking off the old and putting on the new. And and there's a sense that we're not giving you a new mission. We're not giving you a a, a new purpose for us as a church. We're going back to why we believe God called us to be in this place during this time, why God planted this church 20 years ago called Fellowship Bible Church. And so if you've been here the last few weeks, we've just been walking through this. And two weeks ago, Eric Hoffman and I, whom you just heard from, were up here together telling the story of Fellowship Bible Church over 20 years and what it means for us. What lessons are we drawing out of our story? And then last week, Lloyd Shadrach, our teaching pastor, was here and he talked through our values and these core values that were birthed out of our story and shape our identity. And I'm going to walk back through these core values in a minute. But let me just say this about values. Values express the culture of an organization or a family or an entity. And as Peter Drucker said, Peter Drucker was a a very well-known kind of business organizational guru. He said, culture eats strategy for breakfast. You think about any of the organizations that you love or brands that you love, chances are they have a culture and an identity and a certain uh, sort of um, ambiance. That's the wrong word to choose, but I'm trying to figure out other words to describe culture. But there's something about the collection of the people that work at that company that embody what they believe to be true. That's what values are. So here are our five core values that we think have been drawn out of our story as a church. We are, and we'll put them on the screen here in just a minute, and I'll walk back through them briefly. The first one is this. We are word-centered. We're word-centered. Now, you think about what word-centered means. It's the idea that everything we do is going to flow out of the Word of God that God has given us. And I appreciate the way Lloyd taught this last week. He reminded us that the word is not just the written word, although it clearly is that. It's also the word made flesh. It's also the living word, Jesus Christ himself. So to be word-centered as a church means we're going to teach God's word and we're not going to stop teaching God's word to start teaching something else. It's God's word that we're called to teach. We want to base all of our ministries and our small groups around the word of God. And we acknowledge that the written word always points us to the living word, Jesus Christ, the word made flesh. So we're word-centered. We're not only word-centered, we're spirit-dependent. We recognize we cannot do anything apart from the Spirit who gives us breath, who gives us the ability to be about the things that God has called us to, who transforms us and does the inner work in our lives of transformation. So we're both word-centered and spirit-dependent. By the way, for those of you that have grown up in church, most churches are either more one or the other. We believe God has called us to be both. We want to be word-centered and spirit-dependent. 
And so that's the important combination of those two together. We're also better together. Tim referenced that earlier when he called us to greet one another. And, and I know for some of you, like, that's your least favorite time in the worship service. Others of you, you extroverts, you know, you could just do that all day long. Most of us are somewhere in the middle. But one of the reasons we do that is we want to live out these five core values in our worship services as well. We want our worship services to be word-centered, spirit-dependent, better together. It's also why we believe in team you know, Fellowship Bible Church has never had like one guy. It's not about an individual. It's about a team of people, both on the staff, but also in our congregation, in our groups. And we want all of you to be a part of a group helping each other grow in your faith. So we're word-centered, spirit-dependent, better together, courageously real. What does that mean? Well, it means that once you have your identity secure in your relationship to God through Jesus Christ, you're able to take off the mask. You don't have to be anyone that you're not. You don't have to pretend to be righteous. You can admit your brokenness and boast in Jesus Christ and his righteousness for you. And you can admit that life is hard. And when you're struggling, you can say, I'm struggling and believe that this is gonna be a safe place, a container that can hold our struggle as human beings struggling to glorify God in all that we do. We wanna be courageously real and let down the mask with each other. And then that allows us to be not about ourselves because once you start to take off that mask and realize, you know, it's not about me anyway. It's not about my image. It's, it's not about where Eric was taking us. It's not about my kingdom. It's about the kingdom of God. That's always gonna draw you outside these four walls and we can begin to live out the mission that God has given this church. So I wanna springboard off that last core value, not about ourselves, and I wanna talk about our mission mission today as a church. Now, let me just say this before I go any further. When you hear me use words like our and we, I want you to know I'm not talking about Rob and Eric and Lloyd and Paige and JJ and Tim or the elders or our core volunteers. When I say we and our, it's we and our. We are the body of Christ. All right, if you call Fellowship Bible Church your home, even if you've never volunteered or never joined a group and you just only come on Sundays, which by the way, we would encourage you to do those other things too, but even if that's all you ever do is come on Sundays, even if you've only been here a few times, but you're like, I think this is my church home, you are us, you are our. And so when I use these we statements, I wanna be clear. You're not here to spectate what the staff does. You're not here to consume some religious goods and services at, you know, um, 10.45 a.m. on a Sunday. You're called to be a part of a living organism, the church, the body of Christ. That's the we that I speak of here at Fellowship. So what is our mission? What has God called us to? What are we going to be about? Well, uh, go ahead and open your Bibles to Genesis chapter one. I'm not gonna put that on the screen yet. I've got a little more ground to cover, but I want you to go ahead and be prepared. We're gonna start that. Now, if you missed last week's message on the core values, please listen to it because all these build on each other. And this is just a critical series in the history of our church. So we don't want you to miss any of these. You can go online and look it up or you can... Uh, podcast and search for Fellowship Bible Church Franklin, and you'll find that message. Uh, where I want to go is building on that last core value, not about ourselves, talking about our mission, and I want to tap back into Lloyd's analogy of archery. For those of you that were here, he had his bow. You know, he's a hunter. Uh, I'm not a hunter. This is something that we don't have in common. I don't go around killing Bambi on Saturday mornings, okay? But Lloyd does, apparently. <laughs> Just saying. Now, he had the real bow, right? And he kind of like joked that he was going to shoot it. And then he pulled out the Nerf 
Bo, thank goodness. Yeah, and he apparently fired it. I wasn't here, but I heard all about it. And he fired two arrows. One had the fletchings on the arrow, you know, those feather kind of things that keep it flying straight. And the other one, he like yanked them out and apparently the arrow went haywire and somebody had to duck. So that was last week. What I want to do this week is say, what's the whole purpose of firing an arrow if not to hit a target? And so just as these values are the fletchings on our arrow of mission that keeps us flying straight, I want to talk about our mission. And I want to talk about the target that we are designed to hit with our arrow. What is the purpose? And so we have an illustration to kind of build off of Lloyd's um, metaphor of archery. And and I I made this for Lloyd thinking that maybe even he could hit this target up here today. That's um, just kidding. He's actually a very, he's a pretty good archer, I hear. So on the outer ring... I'm going to talk about the core purpose for mankind. In fact, go ahead and put that on there. Then the center ring is what are we called to do as the church, universal, historically for 2,000 years, what's our mission? And then in the center, that blue, you're going to see our mission of Fellowship Bible Church. And I'll say this, our mission statement addresses all three. Our mission statement covers why does mankind exist? It's a pretty big question, right? It also covers what's the core purpose or mission of the church. Fellowship Bible is a part of the church universal. And then what are we specifically called to be about? What's our unique expression of the mission of the church and the purpose of mankind? So our mission statement, when you see it, you're going to see it kind of follows this logic from broad to narrow, from general to particular. And I want to build it that way. And I want to start with why we exist as human beings in the first place. So the first part of our mission is rooted in this purpose of mankind, and this is where we're going to look at Genesis chapter 1. So we're going to look at two verses in Genesis chapter 1, which God would describe as the sixth day of creation, kind of the the pinnacle of creation. He creates uh, human beings, and I want you to see the reason why he created human beings in these two verses. Look at verse 27. God created man in his own image, and the image of God he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Now, I want to explain, I think that this passage is often misunderstood. I think there's two key components in here that we kind of get off kilter a little bit. The first is the idea of the image of God. This may be the most important word in these two verses. What is image? What is the image of God? Interestingly, in Hebrew, it literally means statue or idol. So think about a a pagan God that was represented in a man-made statue or form, or probably what what, um, God may have more had in mind to the Hebrew people as he was uh, writing this through the, the, or inspiring it through Moses, who wrote these words down, where the idea that when they would travel to a pagan nation, they'd go into a, a new city and there'd be an enormous statue that would be representative of the ruler of that territory or the God of that territory. And so you would come in and you'd be impressed by and awed by this enormous statue that's an image Now, what God is saying is that you are not to make an image of God. Why? Because you are the image of God. 
And what is the purpose of an image? To represent the thing that it's reflecting. Not just to be like it and look like it, but to represent the authority of the higher power that you're representing. So think about it this way. We as human beings were made to image God to the rest of creation. We were made to be statues or we were made to be reflections of the God of the universe who created us. And the purpose of that image is not so people would look at us and just say, oh, that's what God looks like. It's not just that. The purpose of that is so that we would extend God's authority to the ends of the earth. So this is where... In verse 28, you have this idea of subduing the earth, ruling over the fish, ruling over the birds in the sky. Most people misinterpret this as well. And they think, okay, that's an excuse just to sort of pound our will into the creation. Or that's, that's just saying that we're the top of the food chain. So enjoy being the top of the food chain. Not at all. That's not the idea behind these verses. The idea behind these verses is we are to actually rule over the creation reflecting the characteristics of God, the love of God, the justice of God, the glory of God. We are to reflect as we create things, as we rule over the earth. The earth is not ours to exploit. We are called to be under rulers, governors, if you will, under the one true king. We are called to extend his rule of love and justice to the, over the face of the earth. That's mankind's original purpose in Genesis chapter one. And so don't, when you see subdue, don't think about pounding our will into something. Think about cultivating. Think about taking the untapped potential of a raw creation that God made in the beginning and bringing it into a place of flourishing. Gardening it cultivating it, building cities where God's glory and justice would be made known, helping human beings interact with the creation in a way that would bring glory to the creator, that would represent his image. That is all captured in this Genesis 1 purpose. That is a glorious purpose, men and women. And whether you believe in God or not, you are made for this purpose. Whether you Believe in Jesus or not. You exist for a reason. Whether you acknowledge the reason or not, all mankind were created to be image bearers of God and to represent his rule across the creation. This is our core purpose. Now, as you walk through the rest of the Old Testament, you start seeing a a little bit of a shorthand phrase to represent this idea of our purpose. And the phrase is glorify God. Now, the reason that most of us um, have sort of lost the fullness of glorify God is we think it only means saying good things about God or singing praises to God. Both of those are rich and wonderful and beautiful and we want to do them. But glorifying God is a much larger concept than that. Glorifying God has everything to do with what you say, but also how you live. So Paul later on says, in everything you do in word or deed, Paul says, even when you eat and drink, in everything you do, do it to the glory of God. So we're called to be image bearers that glorify God. So Isaiah picks this up in Isaiah 43. You don't have to turn there. We'll put it on the screen. Isaiah 43, verse 6 and 7. He writes this. Bring my sons from afar, my daughters from the ends of the earth, everyone who is called by my name, whom I made or created for my glory, whom I have formed, even whom I have 
made. So mankind was made to glorify God. How do we glorify God? By being his image bearers and extending his rule across the creation that he has made. That's our purpose. And so this is where we're going to start our mission statement. Fellowship Bible Church exists, number one, to glorify God. To glorify God. And we're going to put that, if we could, uh, on this screen over here. We're going to build out our mission. There's three components. The first part is we exist to glorify God. That's this outer ring, that red circle at the, the edge of the target. If we don't start there, we miss it completely, don't we? Because that's exactly why human beings exist. And by the way, that's, how all, that's why all of creation exists. But I might say it this way. The purpose of mankind is to be image bearers of a glorious God and representative rulers over his creation. That's the uniquely human way of glorifying God. That's what God has called us to be. You might say it this way. We were made for this. Literally. Now, a big problem people have with this, and and I've got to go here before I move on to the the center of the the next circle. A big problem people have with this is it just sounds a little bit selfish of God for everything to be about him. You know, I mean, most of you, you might not like say that out loud, especially in church, but have you ever fought that tension a little bit? It's like, man, is, is God just some like, egomaniac in the cloud that demands the praise of his underlings? Like, is that the picture of God that we get in scripture? And and if not, then why do we keep saying it's all about glorifying God? And why does God care about his glory? Well, it's a very interesting question. I'm glad you asked it. (laughs) Glory in scripture is tied to the idea of honor. All right, so glory in Hebrew literally means weight. And so someone would have a weight to them, meaning it's kind of their, their stature, it's their, it's their position. And, and uh, it, it's everything about them that, that sort of um, names who they are at their core. And when you're in and around someone who's deserving of honor, you would show them honor in that culture. Now, the reality in that culture was you are forced sometimes to honor people who are not good people, but they simply had rulership over you, a bad king or a bad ruler or a bad governor, you still had to honor them or you could be killed. That's not the invitation of the scripture to glorify God. The invitation of the scripture to glorify God is more like this. Imagine that you had the opportunity to have coffee with your favorite artist or musician or author or a singer-songwriter or maybe a hero from, from history. You know, who, who would you like give up your, your left hand to have coffee with. When you're in that person's presence, you're going to tell them the difference they've made in your life. You're going to tell them how they've inspired you by their art. You're going to talk about your favorite song that they wrote. You're going to express to them the joy that their work or their example or their leadership has brought to you, you're going to overflow with honor for that person. You're going to be glorifying them in in a proper way. And in that moment, you're going to be having the time of your life. 
This is why the reformers in the Westminster Shorter Catechism, they, they asked the question, what's the chief end of man? And they, they didn't just say the chief end of man is to glorify God. They could have left it there, but they said that to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And so John Piper and others have, have very wisely put those two things together because they're meant to be held together and said, we enjoy God and glorify God. We enjoy God by glorifying God. We live out our core purpose as human beings and literally find joy in our purpose by glorifying God. Last thing I'll say on this, because, because then I, I need to move uh, forward, but who would you rather the creation revolve around? Some rock star, you know, some flawed political figure, a remarkable athlete, a, a man, a woman, a group, a country, an organization, those with military power, you know, those who are oppressed. Who should the whole creation revolve around? There's only one that can bear the weight of glory. There's only one who holds it all together. There's only one that can actually withstand the pressure of being at the center of the entire creation. And it's not me and it's not you. And so our culture would say, why does anyone have to be at the center? Everyone's at the center of their creation. Your rights, my rights, you shouldn't have to bow the knee to any so-called God, et cetera, et cetera. And this is why we have a chaotic creation today. Because it's every individual trying to glorify themselves, as, as Eric was reminding us. We were not made to glorify ourselves. We were made to find joy living out our purpose as precious individuals, yes, but not about us, about the one who is more glorious than us, more wonderful than us, more loving than us, more beautiful than us, more creative than us, the one who is so right and just and satisfying that you want nothing more than to praise him when you're in his presence. This is mankind's purpose to glorify God. Now, what's the purpose of the church? Okay, so we're moving from the outer circle to inner circle. What's the purpose of the church? Well, here's what happened in the biblical narrative. Mankind was made to praise God. They didn't, they, they almost didn't even get off page one before they messed it up. You know, it's like you get to Genesis chapter three and, and mankind decides to glorify themselves rather than God and, and choose things on their own rather than God and, they, and obey what they wanted in their own desires rather than what God had clearly outlined for them, which would be life for them. And so everything kind of comes crashing down a little bit and we discover that from that point forward, human beings are not able to live out the purpose God gave us. Not fully, not wholly. And so Israel is example A of this. You know, God set them apart for a specific purpose and said, live in covenant relationship with me by following my law so that the other nations will know that I am a good and just and right God, the one true God. And they couldn't do it. Not for more than a moment at a time. And they would repent and they'd try again and then they'd fail and then they'd repent and try again and they'd fail. You know, it feels like you and me. We can't do it. We cannot glorify God to our uttermost with our whole being. You can't. Do it. And so the prophets start coming to Israel and what's their message? Their message is until something changes deep inside of you, you will never be able to live out this covenant. You'll never be able to live out your core purpose of glorifying God until something changes deep within you. And they start using the metaphor of the heart because the heart is the core of a human being. All right? The heart is what the 
Biblical expression is of the you that is you inside of you. And so you start hearing about circumcision of the heart. You start hearing about, oh, you you need a heart of stone to be taken out and replaced by a heart of flesh. You start hearing a a cry for, would you give us an undivided heart? The implication there is our heart's been pulled apart. It's been separated so far. We're broken and we need help. And we don't just need to change our behavior. We need inside-out transformation. And so it's no surprise when Jesus shows up on the scene, you know, right, right around AD zero, <laughs> that he starts teaching this same idea and, and he addresses the um, Pharisees. And he has his harshest words for the ones who are the best external rule followers. You ever thought about that? That almost seems unfair. It's like they were the ones that were trying the hardest. But, but what Jesus is saying is, you're trying hard on the wrong target, you see. You're actually doing all this to glorify yourself. Your real problem was inside. So he says, you look great on the outside, but your inside's a wreck. In fact, he compares them to whitewashed tombs. Beautiful headstone, decay underneath the surface. So he, he starts delivering this message that if you want to be righteous, you got to be all the way righteous. You know, you've heard it say, do not commit murder. I say, anyone who even thinks a murderous thought has committed murder. You've heard it say, do not lust after one, or do not commit adultery, rather. I say, anyone who lusts after someone that's not their spouse has committed adultery. He's saying, your righteousness has to be so internal, so deep within you, and it comes from there and flows out rather than the other way around. And what he was essentially doing is he was leveling the playing field, saying, you can't do it because your heart's not right. And so at one point he says, these people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And so you start realizing Jesus came to do something about our heart problem. And indeed he did. Uh, And and he also came for this reason as well. He came to actually glorify God, which was the job that we were called to do and couldn't do. So this is where you get all the kingdom metaphor You know, he's announcing the new kingdom. He's saying, listen, I I am imaging God, you know, and and Paul calls him the image of the invisible God. Isn't this interesting? So our calling, Jesus does it for us because we couldn't do it. He says, I'm coming to represent the rule of God, i.e. the kingdom of God on earth, which was mankind's purpose, which you weren't able to do. So Jesus comes to fulfill our purpose on our behalf. God sees fit to fuse his nature with mankind's nature permanently in the incarnation of Jesus Christ and lives out the core purpose of mankind, which we weren't able to do. And then he invites us in. He does something about our sin problem. He dies for us as a substitute. He is raised to new life as the first one of the resurrection. And Paul says, all who are in him or all who put their trust in him will follow in resurrection. And then Jesus takes all those who followed him In other words, those who believed his message and put their faith in him. After his resurrection, he calls them together and he says, I have a job for you. So turn in your Bibles to Matthew 28. Matthew 28. This is the last text I'm going to ask you to turn to this morning. This is the text that Sharon read for us before we began. 
It's known as the Great Commission. Many of you are familiar with it. Some of you, you know, as soon as we started this message, like, I bet I know where this is going. And indeed, why would we go anywhere else with the mission of the church rather than the Great Commission? This is the purpose of the church. But what I want you to see about this is Jesus is inviting the church to continue the mission that he started. We are extending his mission, even in his physical absence. We're doing that through his spirit who enlivens us so that we can be his body on the earth to do the work that he came to do. And Jesus came up, verses 18, verse 18 of 28, and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. This is how Jesus formed the church with a mission. Without a purpose, without a mission, there can be no organization. There can be no, in any sphere of life, without a purpose for a company, there's no company. Without a purpose for a family, why is there a family? Without a purpose for a toothbrush, there's no toothbrush. Every entity has a purpose within the creation. What's the purpose of the church? Matthew 28, make disciples. Make disciples of who? Jesus Christ. What does it mean to make a disciple of Jesus Christ? We'll unpack that a little bit, but let's first put it on the screen because this is the second part of our mission statement at Fellowship. We exist to glorify God and make disciples. That's the mission of every church that has ever been because it is the mission of the church. So mankind, glorify God. Church, make disciples of Jesus Christ. Now, what I want you to see about this is um, the followers of Jesus were not commanded to start a new religion. And they never would have seen their making disciples as, as an act of converting someone from one religion to another religion. They weren't trying to, to win the religion game. All right? That's not what Jesus had in mind at all. They were instead announcing good news of a kingdom which was being birthed. A kingdom of people who themselves had been reborn that born-again metaphor coming from the idea of Jesus telling Nicodemus that you human beings are so internally wrecked that you need a new birth, a transformation that is so deep in you, it might as well be a second birth. That's where that idea comes from. So what they were proclaiming was the good news of a kingdom of people who have been reborn, a new humanity, if you think of it this way, that can actually finally now live out humanity's purpose of glorifying God because they've been reborn to do so. So Paul picks this idea up and he talks about new creation. He, talk, he uses the metaphor of a new humanity of, of individuals who have been reborn, filled with the spirit of God, being formed in the image of Jesus, who is himself the image of the Father. So our mission statement has two components so far. We exist to glorify God, which is humankind's mission, and make disciples, which is the church's mission. What about 
particular expression of that for Fellowship Bible Church. Um, I want to ask you, invite you, to think briefly about the specific place that God has put us in, in Williamson County, Tennessee, in Middle Tennessee. And I want you to invite you to think about the specific time that he has placed this church. It was born, so to speak, or it was planted in 1998. Is it right near the beginning of the, the new century, the, the new millennia? And it was put in a, in a place that for the last 20 years has been rapidly growing. And what kind of people have been coming here? The people that are thirsty for something they call the good life. Some came here chasing a dream with music or entertainment. Some came here for a better job or promotion. Some came here because there's no state tax, because the cost of living is low. Some came here for the beauty. Some came here for the good schools. Some came here for just the, the beautiful external life that you live in, in Williamson County in the surrounding area. They're all coming to pursue the good life. Uh, some of you came here because your kids are here. You want to be near the grandparents or you want to be near the grandparents. You want to be near the grandchildren. Uh, none of these are bad reasons, okay? Like if you have the resources and freedom to be able to pick up and move and live somewhere, this is a really good spot to choose. Like I wasn't born here. We made the same choice. For our family, it was four, four years ago, so I'm not knocking all this, but, but here's what we're realizing is all around us is uh, a people that are coming here to find the good life and only to discover that the good life is not actually found in materialism. It's not found in leisure. It's not found in grandkids. Sorry, grandparents. It's not found in great schools or great parks. It's not found in you know yearly trips to 30A. Okay, which is where we were last week with half of Williamson County. Okay, it's not found in all that stuff. Like that stuff's nice, but it will never satisfy a thirsty soul. So what God has done is he has brought to this area life-thirsty people, and he's the only one that they can be satisfied from to drink. Isn't this interesting? We are living in one of the most desired areas in the most desired country in the United States, in the, in the whole world. And we're living in one of the most desired areas in the most desired country in maybe the most desired time, at least from an entertainment, comfort, convenience, choices perspective. There's never been a time like this. And so consciously or not, what all these people flocking into Middle Tennessee, including us, what, what we're all wanting and searching for is not what we think it is. It's not the good life. It's the whole life. It's wholeness of soul. There's a restlessness in us for creation to be right, for family to be right, for, for our material existence to feel good. And we've come here searching for it. What we really need is internal transformation. What we really need is wholeness. And this is what Jesus came to bring. And then he says to us, this is what I want you now to bring. So in John 14, 27, this is one of the last things Jesus says to his disciples before he was arrested. He says this, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. 
you need to understand peace is not the absence of conflict biblically. It's that and so much more. It's wholeness. It's completeness. Peace is the Hebrew idea of shalom. It means everything rightly related to each other, you rightly related with God, you rightly related to other human beings, even you rightly related to the creation itself and your calling to be image bearers of God. That's shalom. It's a picture of the garden. And what Jesus is saying is, shalom, I'm leaving with you. I'm not giving it like the world gives. The world doesn't give it. Middle Tennessee does not give shalom. Jesus gives wholeness. Jesus gives completeness. In John 10, 10, he said it this way. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I've come so you may have life and have it abundantly. That idea of abundant life is not materialism. It's not name it, claim it. It's not like, you know, pray for a Lamborghini and you get one. It's none of that junk. Abundant life is the kind of life that starts down deep where the spirit regenerates you and it spills out in and through you like a fountain of living water. That's the kind of life you crave. And you're not the only ones craving it. All the people around us need wholeness. They need life. And so we get to the center of our target. And you know, there's, there, there's probably a hundred ways we could have expressed this. What has God called us to in Middle Tennessee at the very beginning of the 21st century? That This is how we're articulating it. We exist to glorify God and make disciples by helping people find wholehearted life in Jesus. Now, the interesting word there is wholehearted, isn't it? Um, on the surface, it means all in. It's the life that you were made for. And that's true. But you dig deeper biblically on the idea of your whole heart. And what you see is that biblically, your heart is that internal control center for your whole being. Your heart, biblically, is your thoughts, your emotions, your desires, and your choices. That's all of you, right? It's all of who you are. It's all kind of in the center. The Hebrew perspective would say, the core of who you are is your heart, and you need to be made whole in the core of who you are. So what we mean by wholehearted life in Jesus is we mean the transformation of the whole person from the inside out, which is what Jesus came to bring. What we mean by wholehearted life in Jesus is discipleship of the whole person. We mean that, yes, we are here so that our minds will be renewed and transformed by great teaching and diving in individually in the word of God. But we're not here just for intellectual stuff, are we? We're here so that our renewed minds will create desires and, and emotions and affections in us that are more aligned with the image of God. And that from that place, we would be able to make choices to live out our faith in ways that are not about ourselves. We're here to help people. God's called us to help people. We're here to help people find. They're already searching. We're here to help them find. We're here to help them find wholehearted life. Complete, 
an utter transformation of the whole person from the inside out. Their thoughts, their emotions, their desires, and their choices. This is what we believe God has called us to for such a time as this. And we believe we're the kind of church that, but just by God's grace, can go after this mission. And I want to explain why we think that. We are a Bible church that's learning to be spirit-dependent. What that means is we have a conviction that our teaching must engage the mind. You're going to get that here. But it can't just stay there. It's got to move through the whole person and go into action. At our best, fellowship's always been the kind of church that would take their faith seriously, the kind of people that would not just be Sunday-only Christians, but that would allow their faith to transform their whole person. That's who we've always been at our best. In other words, Jesus calls us to a faith that engages the whole person, and we're in a culture that's waiting for this because all they see around here is shallow religion, from half-hearted people wearing masks because they don't know how to be courageously real. This is what God has called us to, to be wholehearted people, pointing to wholehearted life in Jesus in a culture that's desperate for it. Now, next week, Lloyd is going to dig deeper on the biblical concept of heart, and he's gonna do a whole message on the theology of the heart. And for some of you, I think that's when you're going to connect with this at a deeper level. You know, the light bulb's going to go off for some of you, I think, when we start unpacking this. And then after that, I'm going to talk about where, how are we going to create wholehearted, or how are we going to help people find wholehearted life in Jesus? Well, I will tell you this, just a sneak peek. It starts with us ourselves becoming wholehearted disciples of Jesus. And so this is how I want to end. I just want to pray for us. Because in every one of our hearts right now, there are areas that are fragmented, that are not whole. There are parts of our mind that need to be renewed. There are relationships in our lives that are broken and, and they just confound us. We don't know how to move toward one another in love. There are motivations and desires in our heart that we have no idea what to do with. You ever wonder, why, why do I want that? Why do I desire that? What's wrong with me? All of those things turning down deep in us lead us to choices that at times move us away from the life we were made for, not toward wholehearted life in Jesus. And so I want to pray for us in this that we would be the kind of people who are living from whole hearts so that we can take the life of Jesus to the community in our world. So would you bow your heads as I pray? Our Father, we look at the whole story of the Bible and we see a calling and a purpose that apart from your regeneration is impossible for us to live out. We know we were made to glorify you and not ourselves. And yet we keep being drawn to things that have far less life than what you would give for us. And so, Jesus, we want to repent. We want to turn away from the broken cisterns or the, the places that we've been trying to drink from that don't actually have life for us. And we want to turn instead to Jesus, who is living water, 
who is the source of the abundant spring of your spirit that wants to well up inside us and spill out and overflow into our homes, into our neighborhoods, into the soccer fields, into our schools and our workplaces, our community centers, out into Middle Tennessee, around the country through our relationships that we have, to the utter ends of the world, through our partners that you have led us to. What a grand vision for a wholehearted life to spill out from us all around the world. And even as I say that, God, there's a sense of humility we must have when we say it is ultimately not about us. May it not be about fellowship. May it not be about a mission statement or a strategy. May it not be about anything other than the clear purpose you've called us to. A very small part of your beautiful puzzle called the church. But oh God, we think that is significant to be a part of that. We think there is a mission for us that would ignite meaning in our homes, in our workplaces, in our community. And we believe you've called us to it. And I believe, Father, with everything in me that the specificity, even of the words that you have led us to, are by your spirit. Because I believe you want us to live out your calling for us and you have guided us to it. So would you help us, Father? Would you help us be about the mission that you have given us?